Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 31st of January 2011. For newcomers, I always advise you to go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the audios for download. I try and give you shortcuts to the big picture of this system you're living in. The, I fill in all the gaps that the mainstream tends to leave out as to re- regarding stories and why things are really happening because you'll find that we're living... In a, in a big business plan, really, that's what the world is, and it's not far-fetched whatsoever. There's lots of evidence out there by big players and big think tanks who advise governments on the directions they're supposed to go in. And now that all the governments are amalgamated into their G20s and all the other rest of the, the organizations they belong to, it's much easier to uh, bring the world into shape, the, the kind of shape that they want it to be, a kind of squashed uh, pumpkin, I think. Once we've got all the taxes out of us So help yourself to the audios as I say And remember too, you're the audience that bring me to you uh, You can support me by buying the books and the discs that I have for sale At cuttingthroughthematrix.com website And um, you can purchase some from the US to Canada If you use an, um, an international postal money order for instance From your post office or a personal check or PayPal to order Use the donation button you'll see on the cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and follow it up by an email with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. Some people just send cash, and that gets through too. Uh, across the rest of the world, you do have um, Western Union. You can have send cash as well. You can also use MoneyGram, which is cheaper, a lot cheaper apparently, than direct wiring, and you can post a check across the, the waters there. Um, and you can use PayPal again to order or donate. Use the donation button followed by an email with name, address, and order. And remember, too, thousands of you out there who are um, listening every night to the, the shows that are put out there, uh, then it's time you, you popped a few pennies this way as well. It would certainly help me uh, get through uh, what I have to get through here with the bills and all the rest of it, which are quite extensive. We're going through the biggest change now. As I say, the, the, these changes came on initially gradually. Sometimes they take bursts, like the, 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 the communist revolution in Russia. These are little bursts of changes. And then you have your world wars too, of course, which creates tremendous change. And, and historians like Professor Carl quickly admit that too, that war isn't just to grab someone's property or mineral rights and oil and all the rest of it. That's all part of the deal for those who own your country. And I mean own your country. But it's also to change societies and all factions, all sides of the conflict. It doesn't matter what side wins or supposedly loses. It changes the culture. And those who are in the business of of creating new cultures get in on the act right away. And, of course, they've got authority of governments to do so. And above governments, they've got authority of the big banking boys who are a part of this big society because uh, the world they're bringing in is a planned 
world, a planned world that brings together uh, the capitalist ideas for those who already own the world. That's the big international moneylenders, not little private banks or bankers. And it brings together to the socialist ideas of running it in a social order. That means that no unnecessary hands will be lying around doing, doing nothing. Uh, and uh, that's their perfect society that we're going into, supposedly. Right now we're going through the, 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 the elimination of countries that still think they are countries. They haven't got the idea yet that they're, they don't have nations anymore. You've you got to belong to the international community, as the United Nations likes to call them, with the same system involved. You've got to have the IMF in there running your country. You've got to have the World Bank there. And you've got to get a central bank in as well so you can borrow from the World Bank and get yourself into debt. That keeps you in line back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. We're trying to make sense of all the nonsense that's put out by the media. And part of the nonsense we've had recently, of course, amongst lots of nonsense, is the whole to-do about Egypt. Uh, For about a week there, I kept wondering when we'd get a reporter giving us some details of why this was happening. And it was just dead blanket silence across the board. So you knew there was something more behind it, of course, and than, than what they'd eventually tell you. And we know that they want to get the present uh, dictator out of there. Now, these dictators, of course, just like Saddam Hussein, were put in there years ago by the CIA and MI6 to be friends to Britain and Israel and the U.S. And um, once their usefulness was over and the, the old Marxist supposedly problem that never existed was gone, uh, then they had to get rid of them, basically. That's it. They're bringing them into the new society for the for the big world society. And um, it's, 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 this is time for them to go. So they're using different techniques and different reasons and excuses. And you can't really believe what they tell you in the newspapers because everything is so slanted, like handouts. Most, most of the media uh, take their news from Reuters or the AP, and that's what they print across the board without question. Uh, most of them don't even have the man on the spot. However, governments do have their men on the spot from, for government agencies, and even they're keeping quiet about what's really happening, which tells you this is a planned deal, as planned as the, 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 the Orange Revolution last year we saw, and as planned as the NGOs that suddenly appeared in Iran to cause the student uh, riots there. And, of course, then it was admitted, too, that Brzezinski and others were involved in that. And it's the same thing, actually, with what's happening in Egypt today. But I'll touch on that later. This article here goes into Egypt and Tunisia. Usher in the new era of global food revolutions. This is, this is the handout that obviously was given to the newspapers. And this one is from The Telegraph. And it's interestingly worded. It says, political risk has returned with a vengeance. The first food revolutions of our Malthusian era, interesting term you're using, have exposed the weak grip of authoritarian regimes in poor countries that import grain, whether in North Africa today or parts of Asia tomorrow. But they've just noticed, eh? That they've just noticed that poor countries that import grain and all that. Um, are, are, have suddenly got problems. Why have they suddenly got problems? It's because, you see, the big boys who already own the banks and they own every country, lock, stock and barrel through debt, 
have put all the food supply of the planet, and by the way, they're the major shareholders in these big agri-food businesses, they put it all up in the stock market for the, for the highest bidder. And that means every country's in it now trying to get the, the food out of it, since most of us don't grow our own anymore, and most farmers in, in Canada and the U.S. and elsewhere have been run out after years, maybe 40 years of government meddling. Anyway, that's all part of the agenda. It says here, political risk has returned with a vengeance. The first food revolutions of her Malthusian era have exposed the weak grip of authoritarian regimes in poor countries that import grain where North Africa today or parts of Asia tomorrow. It says, um, as we sit glued to the Al Jazeera watching authority crumble in the cultural and political capital of the Arab world, it's amazing this Arab land thing they have. They're all different countries, but they always call them Arabs, Arab world. Uh, exhilaration can turn quickly to foreboding. It says, if you insist on joining the emergence, uh, emerging market at this stage of agflation blow-off, uh, avoid countries with accelerating gap between rich and poor, where well, that's pretty well all of us here too. Cairo's EGX stock index has dropped 20%, or, or, or pence, I don't know, in nine trading sessions. Events have moved briskly since a Tunisian fruit vendor with a handcart set fire to himself six weeks ago, and in doing so lit the fuse that has donated Egypt and threatens to topple the political order of Maghreb, Yemen, and beyond. It's amazing Yemen, I think, owes... 80% of its, its debts to Britain in interest. Just 80% of it is interest for the banks there. So it says that there's nothing like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the triumph of secular democracy, was hardly in doubt in Central Europe. Whatever the mix of aspirations of those in the streets of Cairo, such uprisings are easy prey for tight-knit organizations, known in the revolutionary lexicon as Leninist vanguard parties. Well, actually, they're NGOs. In Egypt, this means the Muslim Brotherhood, whether or not Nobel laureate Mohammed. This is a propaganda piece, obviously. Uh, Baredi ever served as fig leaf. The Brotherhood is, of course, a different kettle of fish from Iran's ayatollahs and Turkey's shows that an Islamic-leaning government can be part of the liberal world, though Turkish Premier Recep Tayyip Erdogan once let slip that democracy was a tram you ride until you arrive at your destination and then you step off. Actually, that's very true. Because it's a con game democracy, we've never had it, and it's not intended that you ever get it, actually. And the Club of Rome has pretty well said that, too. It's, they said it didn't work. And, by the way, whatever the Club of Rome says is, is the law, because uh, they're run by the big bankers who own you all. But... um it's quite amazing, as I say, when they go into this, this, uh, it's just a sudden uprising, you know, over this price of food and fruit and all that kind of stuff. But you actually go further into the other articles. And then it says here, Egypt protests, El Baradi tells crowd, change is coming. Right? So this is the headline. You see another handout. Because the, the media all works together to make sure that you get the wrong message, which they'll tell you is the right one. And, uh, who is El Baradi, for instance? You do a little checking on him, you'd be quite surprised. The guy was a, a, an officer at the United Nations his whole life. Uh, so he's the guy that obviously they're going to set up to take over. But anyway, it says here, leading Egyptian opposition figure Mohammed El Baradi has joined thousands of protesters in Cairo defying a curfew to demand President Mubarak stand down. So as I say, Baradi, El Baradi, Mohammed, uh, is an agent of the United Nations. That's his employer. But he also, amazingly enough, belongs to another organization, if you look at it too. And it says here, um, crisis 
Group.org. Look at that, that up that site. It's a non-governmental organization backed by the big foundations. And guess who's in it there? Brzezinski again, the same guy that was behind the Iran uh, uh, student uprising and the Orange Revolution when they sent thousands of U.S. or uh, NGOs over with their orange scarves and placards and all the rest of it. So it's the same thing that's been going on right now in Egypt. But of course, you're not supposed to think that or know that or even be, be aware that Brzezinski and the NGOs are all involved. And these articles are trying to make you think it's just uh, um, communist uh, Mohammedans, which is absolute rubbish. But as I say, this Mohammed El-Baradei uh, not only belongs to this crisis group uh, and has obviously done work for them uh, for years, he also uh, is an officer of the United Nations. But they won't mention that here. Anyway, it says, in the, rest in the crowd in Tahir Square, the Nobel Peace Prize winner urged patients saying change is coming. In a 10-6 day of the protests, the army set tanks into the square only to see them blocked by demonstrators and Air Force jets and a helicopter repeatedly flew over the square, etc., etc. Then he gives his, his prepared speech. I bow to the people of Israel in respect. I ask, uh, of Egypt in respect, I ask of you patience, change is coming in the next few days. However, the BBC's Jim Muir in Cairo said the former UN official did not attract the attention of the whole crowd, which contained other political factions as well. This is the one, obviously, that the US, Britain and so on will back up because he's part of their crisis resolution club, uh, who actually, it's like devil speak, tend to foment revolution inside countries with what they call soft power. This is a term they use, soft power, non-governmental organizations that are all well-organized and well-funded well-backed, etc. Quite, quite interesting, though, how they're putting it across to uh, us airheads in the, in the West here. But how would we know otherwise, eh? How would we know? And also, there's an article here, if I can just find it, it's to do with uh, um, the U.S. too. They're, the U.S. is sending over troops, and the troops are to basically... Uh, support the Egypt-Israeli peace accord. That's what they're making sure the Israel is kept safe. And um, that's what's happening right now. So it'd be a quite interesting. I'll put that link up tonight if I can find it, actually. Things, things may disappear here. But anyway, uh, as I say, the U.S. is sending uh, troops over and observers as well to that area to make sure that uh, the Israeli uh, and Egypt accord is kept because this dictator who's in who they all loved up until right now, um, is the guy who made sure that it, it was kept in place. So big things are afoot there as the U.S. keeps uh, the Middle East and Asia safe for Israel. Now, it says here, this article too, this is from The Observer, um, how, this is more important actually than anything right now because in the West everyone's addicted to and stuck into communication and I've read so many articles about communication from the universities themselves. They know what's happening. They already admit that the, the, the iPhones and so on, the things you put to your head with a Wi-Fi, the temporal lobe, makes you lose moral judgment. And eventually, I, thought, I don't think you'll know what morality is anyway. And they keep changing and redefining it. But I've also mentioned, too, how um, it, it really isolates you. It can isolate you. You think you're in a lot of social networking, but you're not. You're still stuck in a little room somewhere. You're, you're not interacting face-to-face with people. 
and you're losing uh, natural techniques of communication that you should have because there's far more to communication than talking to a voice or even looking at someone from a screen. It's different in person with body language and, and, and so on. But this article here has come out from the Observer. It says, um, it says, Twitter and Facebook don't connect people. They isolate them from reality. You see a rising number of academics, an American student. And it says here, the way in which people frantically communicate via online Twitter, Facebook, and instant messaging can be seen as a form of modern madness, according to a leading American sociologist. A behavior that's become typical may still express the problems that once caused us to see it as pathological MIT professor Sherry Turcone writes in her new book, Alone Together, which is leading an attack on the information age. Turcone's book, published in UK next month, has caused a sensation in America. And I'll read more of this because it's really important to understand what's happening to you and those around you. And it explains why they can't really get what's going on. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, just reading this article about how we're becoming stupider as people actually think they're getting more information and they're interacting more online with other people and and online in one fashion or another. And it says here that um, Turkle's thesis is simple. Technology is threatening to dominate our lives and make us less human. And that's true, they're becoming less human. Under the illusion of allowing us to communicate better, it's actually isolating us from real human interactions in a cyber reality that is a poor imitation of the real world. But Turkle's book is far from the only work of its kind. An intellectual backlash in America is calling for a rejection of some of the values and methods of modern communications. It is a huge backlash. The different kinds of communication that people are using have become something that scares people, said Professor William Kist an education expert at Kent State University, Ohio. The list of attacks on social media is a long one. It comes from all corners of academia and popular culture. A recent bestseller in the U.S. called The Shallows by Nicholas Carr suggested that use of the Internet was altering the way we think to make us less capable of digesting large and complex amounts of information, such as books and magazine articles. Uh, the book was based on an essay that Carr wrote in the Atlantic magazine. It was just as emphatic and was be- and headlined, Is Google Making Us Stupid? Well, they've done much higher studies than that for the Rand Corporation and, of course, the Pentagon and the Military of Defense in Britain, or Department of Defense, and they've found, of course, that we can't handle the kind of data that's thrown at us because people cannot discern the data. Eventually, they can't discern what they're reading or, or if it's true or false or even bother to check up if it's true or false. Uh, they just take it at face value and they live in a kaleidoscopic world of uh, this data, this, this mindless, empty data, until they're just reading articles and they, ca- they can't connect to the content. And if the article happens to be the fact that we're bombing and killing people in some country, it means nothing to them at all. Uh, they have no interest whatsoever. It's just another part of entertainment, uh, along with the UFOs and the alien invasions and stuff like that, because they're surfing all the time. 
This is another strand of thought in the field of cyber is found in the net delusion by Evgeny Morozov. He argues that social media has bred a generation of slacktivists. It's made people lazy and enshrined the illusion that clicking a mouse is a form of activism equal to real-world donations of money and time. And, and that is true. That's true. I cut their armchair. They're not even armchair. They're just their computer chair activists that sit there and they, they put their name on different documents. Yeah, I believe in that. I'll do that and click away to go. And I'll do about 25 before the night's out. Other books include The Dumbest Generation by, or The Dumbest Generation by Emory University Professor Mark Borland, in which he claims the intellectual future of the U.S. looks dim. And we have Met the Enemy by Daniel Ask which describes the problems of self-control in the modern world, of which the proliferation of communication tools is a key component. And that's to do with putting all your data up there and all your personal information as though everyone's your best friend. It's just astonishing what they, what they do now. They have no discernment whatsoever of, of privacy uh, and um, and they're not embarrassed by anything at all, and they should be, because embarrassment, by the way, is, is again part of your survival mechanism. The backlash has crossed Atlantic and uh, suburbia, published in Britain last year. James Harkin surveyed the modern technological world, found some dangerous possibilities. While Harkin was no pure cyber skeptic, he found many reasons to be worried as well as pleased about the new technological era. Elsewhere, hit film The Social Network has been seen as a thinly veiled attack on the social media generation, suggesting that Facebook was created by people who failed to fit in with the real world. Anyway, this is the kind of stuff they're putting out now, and it's a lot, it's a lot more dangerous, actually, than, than this touches on. As I say, when you lose your morality because it's affecting your, your temporal lobe, um, then that's very dangerous, dangerous indeed. However, it does fall into line with what the big boys from the Frankfurt School and so on that help run your societies and your culture industries plan for you. I mean, we are the, this is the most debased time, I think. Um, this is more debased today, actually, in culture and in entertainment and what people are doing uh, in, in their spare time. It's more debased than even the old pagan times of pre-Christian Rome. They were nothing like, pagans were nothing like the, art of, the people are today, nothing at all. And, uh, and of course, it's under the guise of freedom that the people have fallen into the traps today. And again, again, that was all decided at the 1924 Frankfurt School when they decided to find alternative ways of bringing cultures down. And they pushed uh, um, sexual promiscuity and homosexuality would have to be brought to the top, sex education in schools and all kinds of stuff to destroy. They said to destroy the existing cultures. And has there ever been a success? And these schools really existed, these big, they were Marxist um, organizations, heavily funded by the big bankers, and some of them joined with the Macy Group, and they were given the right by presidents of the United States to introduce their techniques into the country. And, of course, they worked with Hollywood to, again, bring down the culture using the, the Adorno techniques to bring down the culture within the United States itself, and, of course, the music industry as well. So... People, you are uh, the end result of a long war, and the problem is because you are the casualties of war, but you simply don't know it, you won't even care about it or even what I'm saying. You see, you are. You are what you are now, and that's called contamination in their own terminology. You have been contaminated, and yet you think you're fine because everyone else is doing what you do.
astonishing technique. See how accurate they were. They had to have done this before down through history. Back with more after these messages. Listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. The articles we mentioned earlier, I couldn't find what the time was. It's um, from Connecticut, it says here, it's gross on it says. Um, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut National Guard Detachment 2nd Company 1185th Aviation Regiment of Groton has mobilized and will deploy to the Sinai Peninsula, Egypt, to support the multinational force and observers. The unit left Connecticut January the 15th for Fort Benning, Georgia, for further training and validation. The unit operates C-23C Sherpa aircraft as deployed three times in the last seven years in support of the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. The unit will provide an on-demand aviation asset to the multinational force and observers commanders to support its mission of supervising security provisions of the Egypt-Israel peace treaty. So the U.S. is paying for, again, of course, as I guess they must, but uh, there they're off again to make sure that the right guy gets in. And it'll be that guy I mentioned that worked for the United Nations and then that conflict resolution agency. It's where he works with Brzezinski. And, uh, and they'll, they'll put another puppet government in there and call it democracy. Bring in the IMF. And I think that if they think they're hard up now, God help them in a year's time. But that's just the way it goes, isn't it? That's the reality of this con game that we live in. It's quite something. Now, you got to understand that Britain is, again, the flagship for what's to happen across the rest of Europe and, and North America, too, as they bring us all down into the global plantation, into communitarianism, also a form of collectivism, where all, this, all the tax money that was supposed to come back to you through all the different lies through the last hundred years, uh, come back to you in services and so on, has all been gone off for, used for other reasons, other purposes, and, of course, everybody's a bit bankrupt and hospitals are struggling along. So, uh, eventually, your little community will have to go off and get loans for itself. You won't have countries anymore, just little areas and regions, and you'll have to send an emissary off to the banking boys to get cash to run your little country. And when you bankrupt it, they'll sell it off privately to someone else. And I'm not kidding, that's already happening in some parts of Britain. Uh well, I read a two about, about a week ago or so about microfinancing and how the, the United Nations has a whole umbrella group underneath them of these philanthropists type, you know, the kinds that want to go out there and help people and bring down the populations and how they give it microloans mainly to women to bypass the authority of the men, which also, by the way, was dreamed up in 1924 at the Frankfurt School and, um, and make men impotent, basically get them out of the picture. And um, they want to do the same thing, of course, in Britain, you see, now that they've really uh, decentralized government, as they say. Eventually, you won't have government as such in Britain or France or anywhere else because they're all already governed by the EU parliament. It's to be a gradual takedown. Uh, I don't know how long it'll take them to clear all those fat cats out of the parliaments. A long time since they're scamming so much money. But eventually, that's that's their ideal situation. You have a kind of an office 
of, of the, the European Union that used to be the Parliament, and they'll be the, the mainstay for all these little regions and areas and co-ops. Community financing is more important than ever revealed state-of-sector report, it says. It says the Community, Community Development Finance Association's annual state of the sector's report has a bold new look, which is helping to highlight the fact that the UK's community leaders are more important than ever before. Now, these leaders are supplied to you by Common Purpose and other groups like that that are authorized by the big boys again. But uh, they're using these micro-lenders now who are going to make a killing with great interest rates, etc., lending to all the little communities for the monies they need to run their community. Social Media was delighted to win the contract to design Inside Out 2010, the analysis, it says here, by the Community Development Finance Association uh, of its survey of the country's community development finance institutions. These organizations provide finance to individuals, companies, and civil society organizations. That's your community that can't get support from high street banks. The publication, which was launched in December, reveals that community development finance institutions have seen their demand soar during the credit crisis. They lent a record £200 million in 2009 to 2010, up 77% from the previous year. And they'll rake in about, about £8 million from that on interest alone, believe you me. Inside Out 2010 was a result of many months of research by the CDFA. This is uh, Julie Piber, Society's Media's editorial director, said Society Media wants to do justice to, to Inside Out's important facts and figures by creating a clean, modern design which is easier for readers to navigate, reflected the CDFA's own style, and most importantly, caught the attention of the people that matter. That's the ones that pay them back, the ordinary citizens, because it's all based on interest. So I'll put this article up too, and there's one of them, in fact, has a nice intro, a real PR ad on it. Listen to the language with these actors talking about their community and how they're borrowing money and it's going to help them be independent, you know, and get, and have work for themselves and oh, it's all this wonderful stuff. Almost, almost makes you cry actually if you're, if you really fall into these kind of traps when you see these paid actors pretending they're you saying, I'm going to get a loan from them and, and I'll do something good in my community. It's quite wonderful. Good techniques. Now, again, what they're going to do too, and I remember years ago uh, reading the history of the pension plans, uh, a great, fantastic boom for the governments because uh, they were raking all this cash in, known darn well that they'd never use it on the pensioners, and the ne- they hoped the next generation, you see, like a pyramid scheme, the next generation would, would pay the bills. And when it was their time too, they go into hospitals uh, when they're elderly, and the next generation would keep paying the bills and uh, etc. Plus, they also hope most folk would die before you hit the pensionable age. When they brought out the 65 years, for instance, in most European countries, uh, most of the guys didn't hit 65, which is a great thing. So you kept paying by law into this this con game. And most of them never collected. That was a great thing for government to spend money on, you know, yachts and stuff like that. Anyway, the Spanish government reached a deal to raise its retirement age. It's getting forced to buy the International Monetary Fund. It says uh, that the, it says um, Spain's socialist government has struck a deal with the country's trade unions to raise the age of retirement. It says all parties have agreed that the compulsory retirement age will increase from 65 to 67, one of the highest in Europe. They're trying to do the same in France, but they'll have a hard time with the French. They're not, they, they don't really give in so easily. 
This is a final marathon discussion ran into the early hours of Friday morning. The yields a crucial step to convince investors the government is committed to structural reform to revive the economy and avoid a bailout. Aware it was under international scrutiny, the government has threatened to impose changes by decree if necessary. That's just by order. It doesn't have to be go through the usual pretense of democracy. Spain's trade unions have warned of another general strike. Since early January, the two sides have been holding long weekends and late nights of talks. With a low birth rate increasing life expectancy, government figures suggest 32% of Spain's population will be aged 64 or over by the year 2050. The number of pensioners expect to rise from 8 million to 12 million over the next three decades, which is rubbish actually, because you see, they'll know exactly how many immigrants they plan to bring in. That's why Britain said that they brought in uh, the flood of immigrants. Apart from the fact it wasn't really true, because the Frankfurt School also said that through multicultural immigration, vast numbers, they would destroy the cultures of the countries in Europe. And that's in the records, by the way. But, um, uh, so Spain would, would, would no doubt will do the same thing because they don't intend to leave Spain's culture intact either down the road. They're on the list as well uh, to, to be hit. So everything's a con game in this big uh, reality they call reality and democracy and uh, everything's planned before you're born as to where it would be. When I was born too, they kept harping on about, oh my God, the coming year 2000, there'll be older folk and, and by the year 2010, they'll be going into the hospitals and we can't afford them, we can't afford them, etc., etc. And yet, you know, these people paid and paid and paid the, the highest taxes in Europe their whole lives long. And um, in the highest tax categories of, of, of Europe, in fact, the top categories in Europe now they've just raised 80, 83% of your of your paycheck in the top and the high and the middle class categories goes to government. 83% goes to government every year. But they just don't never have enough money. They never have enough. Oh my God! They just never have enough money. And of course, they bring you to a stage of collapse. And that's where they want to go eventually, because you'll be using these credits that Russell talked about in the, in the 40s to, instead of banknotes and so on. And the government, in a true socialist form, will issue your credits to every individual, no doubt through your little personal computer every week. But you can't save them up, though. Then you'll all have to be equal. This vanish at the ones you haven't saved every Monday, and you start off with the same amount. That's only if you're a good server to serve your feudal overlords, depending who they'll be. Depends who's bought over the land, you see, when, you're, when, you're, when your last little community failed to pay back its loans. There's also uh, so many organizations to do with green belts and corridors in the U.S. and Canada that came from the United Nations ideas and corridors for land use for animals and humans uh, to be designated their, uh, their own particular green belts, uh, that is astonishing. And they first started these through universities, the major universities. Now they all get government funding to push their propaganda. I'll put that link up too. It's called Urban Rural Land Use Green Belt Project. It's, it's across Canada and the United States. It's the same organization. And they have these belts they want to have us off the land across certain rural areas. I'll show you the maps, by the way. You might be on them and um, eventually crammed into the cities for Agenda 21 and the, the Millennial Project, the Millennium Project, they call it, from the United Nations that runs the show. Uh, that's where they want you all to live. And it's interesting, too, uh, that they've expanded these green belts since I last saw them because the one that comes from Niagara 
right at the border of the U.S. There also goes all the way up to Barrie, Ontario now. I wonder if they'll end up eventually coming up my way. And uh, that'll be a green belt for you know, the animals and all the rest of it to live in. I wonder if we can do animal impersonation. If we get, maybe if you can do that down the road, we can really survive. They'll think we are and we get into the forest and forage and stuff like that to eat. Now, there's another article here. It's about, can scientists really make it rain or are they a useless shower? It's, again, it's one of these tongue-in-cheek articles, meal online, press handout type of thing. But, and it's a very superficial history and a minimalistic history of uh, weather modification. This is at the height of the Vietnam War. The soldiers who heard U.S. aircraft flying high over the Ho Chi Minh Trail might have feared bombs were about to fall from the sky, or at least the reconnaissance pilots were taking pictures of the Viet Cong's supply lines. But they had little to fear. The planes were just trying to make it rain, but they weren't very good at it. It's not quite true. They made, they made, they made quite some good floods there and turned those trails into mud. But anyway, they also went to other uh, areas, including Britain and Canada and elsewhere, with their testing stuff out. And they caused some amazing storms in Britain uh, over the years. I remember there was one town that was hit in England, and some houses were even washed away. Uh, and the REF, of course, did that. It says, um, uh, it says that... The, Operation Popeye started in 1966 and ran for seven years. Pilots flew 2,600 rain-seeding sorties, but it was a dismal failure. There was a little enough rain, but not enough to halt the supply lines. And it says, um, um, however, it says a Swiss company called Metro Systems claims to have seen more than 50 rainstorms over the Abu Dhabi desert last year. Now, I know China is doing their own stuff too, and other companies are. So is Russia, by the way. They've had ads in the newspapers. It says, the meteor system's claims are really nothing more than that. It's a simple ex- example of chance outcomes, is Dr. Dion Derplanche, a weather modification expert at the World Meteorological Organization. Others say uh, that it might be true. Metro systems use a technology that is new to this field, a network of towers that uses electricity to electrically change the air. Imagine that. We've been saying that for years. The ionized air then seeds rain. Professor Peter Wilder of the Technical University of Munich did not see the rain fall in the desert, but he's keeping an open mind about this new idea. I'm convinced that the ionization technology has the potential to work, he says. And it says, um, so far, no one knows whether rain seeding really does do what it supports claim. Measuring the success of weather modification projects is like peering through a thick fog, and it always happens. Now, the thing is, too, we know they've been doing that because they've been spraying us consistently from 98 on. And they've caused floods in all the farmland areas in Canada and the States over the years, and then followed by droughts, because they can cause rain or disperse the clouds, one or the other. It's quite, it's quite fascinating to watch. And um, with the use of harp technology, which is far more powerful, and the, the seeding of the, the skies, you might call it, they can certainly cause uh, weather modification. Otherwise, they wouldn't have sent, uh, signed the treaties from through the 1970s on weather warfare. Uh, they can call it the, in the United Nations. They've all signed on to that. Why would they sign on if it didn't work? Well, it does work, you see. That's why they signed on to it. And that's why the Pentagon put so much cash into it and funded Teller to come out with the techniques of um, using the harp-type harp technology along with seeding the skies and so on. 
It certainly does work. Now, there's also a site I'm putting up tonight too at cuttingthroughmedics.com. It's called Good Deals. This is um, Social Enterprise Live. This is Global Entrepreneurship uh, Week 2010. It says, um, these are some of the articles they have up on their site. For the, these are, again, the guys that get all these, these different co-ops going for the communitarian idea across the world. One of them is Social Enterprise Shorts. So this week's news in brief, Nesta Fund to Help intermediate, uh, Intermediaries Grow, UN Principles to Protect Poor Families from Microfinance, that's these loan sharks, and the Gates Foundation invests $5 million in UK-led African vet franchise. Uh, Lambeth Council launches as a co-op. So he's a council in Britain launching itself as a cooperative society. You can't get more socialist, communist than that. And it says, that, again, the Lambeth Council launches itself as a cooperative council last week in a bid to cut costs and save services, also sharing power and uh, talking about a new settlement as well in the area. Then it says, localism needs leadership and warrants report. Then another one says the government plans to shift public service delivery to a local level could hit a wall if communities are not given clarity and leadership. A new report warns this week. They're, they're literally dis, they're dismantling the whole system in Britain, right down to hospitals, everything. And then you'll have your little supply leadership from the volunteer groups of NGOs that are already placed there who will take over and be your spokesperson who will go off and borrow money uh, that you'll all have to sign your names to as personal guarantors. And if you can't keep up with it, well, you know, you just can't treat them in the hospital. And it's your problem. That's how they're going to run this whole system. And it's another artic- article here says, Gerald pledges to challenge the big society. Labour's new shadow minister for the cabinet office, uh, Tessa Gerald, says she'll look to create an alternative to the big society. So I'll put these links up tonight as well, and you should go over them, because that's coming to North America too. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and talking about the Frankfurt School too, as I say, the they hope to destroy everything that held, all the fabric that held society together uh, had to be utterly wiped out. And uh, basically, to bring the society down to a very debased, degraded level in all areas, including mass promiscuity, beyond even mass promiscuity, uh, and of course, uh, to, to blur distinctions of what male and, and female were and so on. And this has been happening my whole lifetime. This, this group's been incredibly active. Uh, they've been heavily involved in the music industry, heavily involved uh, in the, the culture industry for Hollywood, and, every, and even uh, they're, they're, they were hiring novelists and so on to make sure the same messages are embedded in novels and so on, and getting their dollars matched by governments for doing so. If you thought your government was yours, no, your government was never yours, because the big boys that own your government also owned the Frankfurt Bunch. But it says here, here's an article here for as an example. Here comes the Femme Man, Femme Man Bride. Jean-Paul Gautier's male muse is a star of the couture and men were show, it says. 
uh, with a supermodel figure, full lips and high cheekbones, no one could argue that Jean Paul Gaultier's choice for the couture show finale made a beautiful bride. Well, that's because science and big money can make you look like whatever you want. But it may become a surprise to the audience that the French designer's new muse, a male model, also featured in his menswear show a week earlier. The Serbian-born Andrej Pejic is part of the new wave of feminine models. And that's why, by the way, if you wonder why you take guys from the 50s and 60s, the Kurt Douglases and so on, the broad-shouldered types have all altered down to these skinny little guys who are the heroes now. This is all part of it, by the way, the, the feminization of the male, which is a, a, a definite project. These are what, what young women are taught now is the guy that really you want, these skinny guys that, that so you can't often tell apart from the skinny females, if you find any skinny females. So, it says, um, um, it says, uh, uh, displaying physical traits of both sexes, the androgynous mannequins. And I said that years ago, they're bringing in androgyny. Mannequins make use for versatile looks on the runway and headline use off it. And again, too, that's also heading towards transhumanism, as I say, where anything goes. The 19-year-old who fled war-torn Serbia to live in Australia is also the face of Marc Jacobs and has appeared in numerous campaigns, including French and Italian Vogue. They make sure that they project this from the top magazines right down. Carl Quigley went into this technique in his Anglo-American establishment and Tragedy and Hope. It says he was discovered by the Matthew Anderson, the director of Chadwick Models in Melbourne. Anderson told the Sydney Modern Herald his beauty was extraordinary. He's also intelligent. It's amazing, really, that he's just so comfortable in his own skin. Well, I wonder how much of his the skin is actually his, but that doesn't matter, does it? So that's part of it then. And then, of course, we find the same thing with uh, this article. It goes back to, I think it was 2008. America's next top model has transgender uh, contestant Isis in it. One of the 14 girls who will compete in the new season's America's Next Top Models, which returns to CW September 3rd, is transgender. My cards were dealt differently, Isis. I like the name Isis. Eh? A 20-year-old former receptionist tells us weekly exclusively in its new interview on newsstands now. And it says, will she be a role model? She says, I'd like to help people, but I'm here to follow my dreams, she says to the U.S. I never dreamt these funny things when I was wee. It didn't enter my head, I'm afraid, to... to you know, dress up like that. Anyway, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's school with you.